Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlos. Today's episode is going to sound a little bit different. As most of you know, we just canceled our Sips of Sanity podcast series, which is our smaller one that aired once a month at the beginning of every month. But we had already taped our January series and didn't want to miss the opportunity to share it with anyone who could benefit from it. And so we decided to air it today as our Coffee with the Sarlos, um, although you'll hear both shows announced. Uh, So within the roughly hour-long period, you're going to hear the five mini-shows on enmeshment. We'll get show notes out of the way first, though. As always, our Evening with Medium events are available on the website by sarlo.com. The 2019 events are April 26th, August 23rd, and December 13th. Special edition will be our Evening with Medium events in the afternoon on International Women's Day, which is March 8th. That will be held at the Grand Event Center hosted by the Crisis Center, and I believe you can contact them. It may be a drop-in situation, but we will certainly have more details for you, more accurate details, closer to the date. Karen and I both have workshops coming up hosted at Ruby Yoga this year. Karen is doing a shamanic journeying series. It's a three-part series that you can register for towards the end of January, and that's at rubyyoga.ca. I will also be hosting a life coaching workshop in February, and again, twice more this year, and you can register at rubyyoga.ca as well. And last but not least, we have gift certificates and personal sessions available for purchase on the website by sarlo.com, or you can contact either one of us directly using the numbers listed on the website. Personal sessions, like always, can be received from anywhere in the world via Skype, telephone, or FaceTime. Please enjoy today's show. Good morning and Happy New Year's Eve. Good morning. We are doing Sips of Sanity today, and we are just kind of bringing in the new year. Mm -hmm. Our intention today, or our why, is to help you gain a bigger and better toolbox for emotional and intuitive intelligence. And today, Karen, you had such a great idea to talk about enmeshment. Yeah, Kel, like a lot of people come in and ask if they can have sessions where they want to open up their own gifts. And this has been going on with clients for you and I for a couple of years now, where we run workshops as well to help people open up their intuition. But you can't do it successfully if you're enmeshed in a relationship or with a group of people that are going to constantly question it in a negative way and where they're going to always put it down. Or essentially have more power over you than you do. Correct. And that's what it is. It's a loss of power within yourself where you give it to another person or a group of people. Okay, so we are packing today's show by just beginning to explain what enmeshment is. So I went to the dictionary and a thesaurus to look up the definition and some similar meanings so that people could hear this. Catch, caught up, embroil, entangle, ensnare, Snare, trap, entrap, involve, mix up, bog down, mire, to be involved in a difficult situation from which it is difficult to escape. So we're talking about this in terms of being in a relationship and feeling these things. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that people can be in that difficult situation with one person. So it can be a child or it could be a partner or a boss or a friend, a coworker. It can be anything and it can be groups. You could be involved in a gang. And I think people can really relate to that if they have a child or a partner caught in a drug gang. Mm -hmm. We think of that one first because we see that one in the news. It really jumps out at us, but we don't tend to see it if it's us. And our group is our brothers and sisters or our group, are professionals. When we look at the TV and we see somebody else enmeshed in something, and it's easy because, you know, at that point, they're typically running from the police department, right? We see the criminal running away, or we see them being handcuffed and going to prison. We don't ever think that that could be us. Because we think we have our shit together more than them. We don't think our own prison could be the relationship itself. Or we don't think our own prison could be 
the state of mind we're in or the level of chaos that we live in or create every day or allow them to create for us and we think we have to be a part of it in some way. Including a job. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe when we finally get the lights turned on is when we get fired. When we find out at the job that, you know, if your husband's, you and your husband own it, he's having the affair, that now you're losing your job because of the relationship. But quite often we wait for the big crisis to occur. And for many people, that crisis has to be repeated. What about when someone else gets the promotion over you? Yes. Where you feel you've given your whole life. That's a wonderful example of being enmeshed and not seeing it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And, And it's good. It's good to keep giving these examples because quite often, as I said, we see it for other people when it's in the news, but not for ourselves. So if you're in a state of chaos, if you have confusion in your mind, if you can't think clearly, or like you said, if you're working towards a goal and the carrot keeps getting moved, if you're looking for closeness with a partner and they give it to you, but pull it away, give it to you, pull it away and repeat that pattern, you're enmeshed. If there's verbal abuse, Kelly, and there are any of those 15 signs of verbal abuse that go in a pattern and keep looping where either they're doing it to you, you're doing it to them, or you're doing it to yourself, you're enmeshed. If you're unaware of what Karen just said, we have Coffee with the Sarlos, our longer podcast series available on the website and on any podcast app, and it's episode 114. It's called The Verbally Abusive Relationship with Patricia Evans. It's important to know those 15 forms of abuse because when people are enmeshed in something, guaranteed some of those forms, and many of them all running at the same time, are part of your life on a regular basis. Because you can't be enmeshed in something that's negative and not be self-abusing. I like that. Mm-hmm. For those people who think that enmeshment means that it's just in one area of your life. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm with this guy and, you know, we're a little bit entangled and I'm struggling with that a little bit. But, you know, I, I've got control over that. You're wrong. Because it follows you into the other aspects of your life. It is your own belief or your own desire that you think you've compartmentalized it that you think you have control over it. But that's always a lie. Because that situation that you're in really will catch up with you the day the boss says you're fired. You haven't been paying attention. You've been making mistakes. I've been asking you this over and over again. You're forgetful. And they give you the list of the things that you are, that you have ignored, seen in yourself in order to stay enmeshed in that relationship. So typically, we can have an enmeshment with a partner or a child and think that our work life or our friend lives, our social lives are totally normal and healthy, and they're not. And we wait for the you're fired sentence or for the friend group that ghosts us to try and wake us up. And some people still miss it then because then they'll blame the boss They'll blame the friend group. They'll blame the person who ghosted them because they still don't want to see any of their own issues. I think what they're all trying to tell you is that all along you haven't been able to think clearly. Well, no, because when you're enmeshed, you don't have your own thoughts. You're consistently waiting or trying to anticipate the other person's reality. And it's always shifting. So you stay in your head in the confusion, as you mentioned, never really being able to complete your own thought, never even knowing if it really is your own thought. And you stay pretty much paralyzed in a lot of ways for your own life. You may be able to spring into action to do for others, especially the person you're enmeshed with, but you can't make the steps forward to take care of yourself. Well, there's a huge need here for other people to agree with you all the time. 
So you become afraid of confrontation. You lose all of the toolkit to confront. So when you talk, Kelly, about that you go into a paralysis, and that paralysis can be emotional, but it also can be a very physical one. You don't literally know how to get up and go look for a job or go find a new job. You get stuck in one job and there is your job or career paralysis. You haven't got a clue how to even do a resume. And even if you can go on the internet and simply find one done for you, where you just even plug in your information, you still feel paralyzed to even print it or even put in your name. So if that's ringing true for you right now, then you are enmeshed in some relationship that's unhealthy. One of the points that I really love that you put down on the sheet is that you feel that you are indispensable to these particular people. (laughs) And yet they prove over and over again that you're not. Yep. And they love to make sure that you know it. And yet you stay addicted to them. Yeah, and we've talked about the concept of giving crumbs. Where if they know you're kind of getting your strength, they know you're kind of slipping away and maybe you can't enter your name into that new resume. Mm-hmm. Then they, they feed you the crumb, the pat on the back, whatever it is they think or know that you need to hear to keep you just a little bit longer, just to enmesh you a little bit more. Yeah, Kel, because they might say to you, oh, good for you, you got your resume done. But then eh, maybe while you're making dinner, they kind of jab you and use those forms of abuse to kind of put you down a little And then they compliment you again. You know, you better get up and go find a job. You know, that's good. I'm real proud of you. But then they put in another little dig. So they yo-yo you so that you really can't go find that job. You really can't get that independence or really truly think and make good healthy decisions for yourself and good actions for yourself. So they sabotage you and you allow it. So we've been talking about patterns of the victim and the abuser. Mm -hmm. So I think what we'll do just to kind of wrap up this show is to be able to ask you which one you are. Hmm. If you can now look at or hear some of these examples and think, oh God, that's me. Are you the victim or are you the abuser? Or do you go back and forth and play both? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because somebody could very well be enmeshed and be the victim of their spouse, but then actually be the perpetrator and do it to their children. Yes. So today, like we said, was just about mentioning sort of the what and explaining to you the why, the direction that we're headed in and educating you about enmeshment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope people are excited to listen to it and go, okay, I can see myself in this. Or clearly, I see my sister <laughs> or somebody in this, a coworker, and share the podcast. It doesn't have to mean that you have to say, hey, and confront them. It just might be something like, hey, this might be of interest to you. Excellent. So stay tuned for the rest of the week. We've got tools coming up for enmeshment. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at and we will talk to you in the new year. Good morning. This is Sips of Sanity and I'm Karen. Good morning. I'm Kelly and happy new year to everyone. We are starting things off pretty heavy. We're talking about enmeshment. We did day one yesterday. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend that you do because we described what it is. And the intention here is to be able to educate you not just about what it is, but the tools so that you can navigate your way out of it. And as I mentioned in day one, part of the reason that we're talking about this is because many people want to open up their third eye their intuition, their intuitive gifts. We're trying to create emotional intelligence because without emotional intelligence, you're going to have a hell of a brick wall in front of you to open up intuitiveness. Because if you care more about other people's opinions of you than your own, that's going to be one of your biggest walls. I'm thinking too that you should probably hear that life's going to be very difficult for you. Yeah, in every single way. Okay. Well, without emotional intelligence, we are crippled. Yes. And and I know you've said this to many, many clients. You have the emotional maturity of a two-year-old. Yes. And I don't mean that to be ignorant or rude to them. No, it's to point out that they are at a level where they do not have the ability to problem solve. They do not have the ability to empathize. There are certain 
tools that we need in our toolkit to be able to walk through life healthily. Yeah. And if you don't have those things, like we've said yesterday in the show, Kelly, you sit in a, a paralysis in your life, not understanding why you can't reach the goals. So you could have a wonderful vision board and never be able to actually reach those things that mean the most. You might be able to do something financially and get the car, but not feel good about it or not feel good about yourself. Yeah. And you might be in a relationship and value being in one, but not know how to be a good partner or not understand why you're with someone who is so very mean. Yes, that's lovely. I love how you just said that, that they can't understand why they're in the relationship with a withholder or someone who's creating drama and chaos. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm just going to reword it ever so slightly, because I don't necessarily know that people will wonder, why am I in it? Because that would be an action they have to take in order to get out. I think the wonder can often be, how did the how did I wind up here? Mm-hmm. How did it get to this? Mm-hmm. And we're saying that it gets to this point if you don't have emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And it's it's good if you're beginning to wonder because it means that you're trying to wake up. Mm, so I here, like yeah. So here are some tools to help you. Yeah, and so one of them is to recognize, and we'll say this: it's to be able to recognize, and that means to be educated to understand what enmeshment looks like. And one of the key things that's required when you're enmeshed with somebody is your own addiction to approval. This is going to tie in so beautifully, Kelly, with Beverly Angel's book, The Nice Girl Syndrome. And we've said this countless times on both of our podcast shows, that it's called The Nice Girl Syndrome, but there are plenty of males that need to read that book because they are the nice boy syndrome. Yeah, they're they're not gender terms. They are characteristics of humans who have not emotionally matured. Correct. And that need for approval, as you've said earlier, really comes down to around two to three years old when you're really not getting it. You're not getting a parent's approval. You're not being nurtured in healthy ways. And that can play out when you're 30, 40, 50, 80, it doesn't matter your age physically in the body. It's your emotional age. Yeah, we continue to seek it. And to the point, Kelly, where we could seek it from a partner, meaning your sexual partner, and totally disregard the existence of your own children. Mm-hmm. Their needs, the fact that you're parenting or you're supposed to be parenting, because many people will put so much stress on that need for approval from the guy or from the girl, the, the partner, that they can't see other human beings. They can't see themselves. They can't see the job. They can't see their friend group. They can't see their family. They can't hear anything. They only hear one person's words. And it doesn't matter what their actions are, so they could have an affair, they could punch you, they could withhold from you, they could do, oh my God, a list of things to you that are mean and abusive, or to your children, or to your friends, or even try to destroy your career on you. But so long as they feed you words, you're stuck to them. Or sex. Yeah, or, or both. Words right. and sex. That's a killer combo for some people, right? Yeah, because in in a very immature mind, if someone is engaging in sex with me, it means I am desired, I am wanted. So they must approve. Right. That's a good way to look at what they're getting out of sex, say, Kelly, is another form of approval. I'm just repeating what you're saying because I think it's crucial for people to hear that. So let's talk about the person seeking approval. Because this can look like very polar actions. You can have the one person, and my mind automatically goes to the literal two-year-old that has the temper tantrum Mm -hmm. that kicks and flails and wants to be seen at all costs, Mm -hmm. heard at all costs. Then you might have the person on the other end of the spectrum who believes that I'll fly under the radar, I won't be seen or heard, but I'll get everything done and that will get me approval. Mm -hmm. That's the good girl. The martyr. The good boy. 
Yeah. Both stuck in the very same dynamics, the very same concepts, but expressing in two different ways. Mm-hmm. And we're saying it because you need to be able to find yourself or find the person you're thinking of in these examples. When you're saying that, Kelly, I would like to point out to people that if they research archetypes and look up martyr, look up victim, or go straight to Beverly Angel's book on the nice girl syndrome, she literally lists all of the different types and the definitions and why they do it, how they're trained to do that. And that's what you and I are trying to say here. We get trained by parents and by society, by schools or groups or whatever around us to fall into those roles. Yes. And actually, we did a Sips of Sanity series on the archetype of the child back at the kind of towards the end of 2018. And for anyone wondering what the heck that means, the archetype of the child is the child that keeps living within the adult in us where we keep expressing over and over again that tantrum, that desire to be approved. What a cycle it's going to be if you can't get out of that with the person you're enmeshed in when you are emotionally at around a two-year-old level and you are having those tantrums. Because quite often then you're stuck with that person because they will parent you at times and they will be your sexual partner at times and they will withhold. So they will wear different hats and you get addicted to each of the hats. Oh, yes. And you know what? Going back to day one, when you listed the different um, synonyms for enmeshment, the first thing in my head goes to mix up. Mm -hmm. Because as you're pointing out, you mix up all of the roles. And I know we've said this time and time again, no parent, no healthy parent wants to have sex with their child. No healthy child wants to have sex with their parent. But this is what we end up doing in adult relationships when our emotional intelligence is not on the same level. Hmm. What a clusterfuck. Yes, because the child that's physically abused innately knows that something is wrong innately knows that this is not right and you Mm -hmm. can see in all of the psych talk how they feel dirty and they can't get over this feeling of dirtiness Mm -hmm. and yet we mix up these roles as adults and we can't quite put our finger on why things don't feel right or what might be off or why I feel weirded out by my partner now Mm -hmm. yeah why I'm no longer attracted to them well If you're enmeshed in these unhealthy relationships and you start getting healthy emotionally, that is exactly what happens. You stop being attracted to that partner. And that's one of the reasons you're ready to leave. And that's a good thing. So let's say that if anyone is sitting here right now with a pit in their stomach, really, really hearing what we just said, that is a good thing. Mm Mm-hmm. That means you're on the right track. And yes, to finish your sentence, good for you. Yes. Oh, I just want to send out a great big, huge air hug to these people. If they just listened to this show and went, what the fuck? She said clusterfuck. And I said that on purpose because that is exactly what happens in your mind. And when you finally get it, you know it for what it is. And as soon as you know it for what it is, I want to say to you, don't let go. Hold on to that and know that what you now know to be true is the deepest truth. Because if you go back to that relationship, even for two seconds in your mind, you take off your clothes one more time, you're going back into that clusterfuck and it gets harder and harder to do. Yeah, because you end up re-traumatizing yourself. Yes. So when you say no to sex... When you refuse, when you walk away and say, I'm not attracted, when you say you don't feel like it, you are standing up for the deepest part of your soul that wants to experience life with you. So the biggest thing that we can offer you within this podcast is to understand or to offer you a new belief system, let's put it that way, to say that judgment or criticism will not kill you. Mm-hmm. physically, literally will not kill you. Yeah, and I, I know that some people literally believe that they will die. Oh, yes. 
And they say that to themselves. They say it to their friends. I would just die without them. I would just die. And you have to stop saying that. That's part of the tools is that you stop saying those things and you say the opposite. I can survive criticism. It won't kill me. And this is where I've seen you um, give homework to a lot of clients where you'll draw a T on the page and you'll write trash, keep. Yeah. And so if you can walk through those different belief systems, I will die without him. Just hold it in your thoughts and ask yourself which side of the page you want to put it down on. Mm -hmm. Decide which concepts you want to trash or keep. Sometimes in sessions, Kelly, the spirit guides will come through and say on one side of the page, say the left side, we will write things like I will die without him. I can't live without him. Um, I can't support myself without him. Uh, I can't stand being alone. It will kill me. I will crawl up into a fetal ball and stop breathing. And on the other side of the page, we say, I can walk, I can stand, I can breathe. Yes, you're saying very simple facts. That's right. And that's where it starts. That's right. Is to just focus on the small, simple facts so that you can just slowly and surely destroy the false belief. There are... This is one of them. There are 7 billion people on this planet. He slash she is not the only person that will ever find me attractive. One of the things that I've heard partners say when in enmeshed relationships is nobody else would want you. You are unlovable. If it weren't for me, you'd be nobody. You'd be on the street. You'd, you'd, you'd. And so you have to be able to say, lie, 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 lie. Every single one of those things are lies. Yeah. And and even while they're talking to you, you might be sitting there with your little hand on the center going, nope, trash, nope, keep, nope, trash. And it's important to hold that into your mind when they're saying it to you and go, lies, 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 whatever you got to do, sing it, do it, what you got to do. Because on the other side of the page is the truth. I can get another job out of 7 billion people. Surely there is somebody that can think I'm a nice person because I am one, or I might not be today, but I'm capable of becoming one. So on the other side of the page, you have to tell yourself and write down those truths. Yes, because, and this is something neat. I'm going to kind of twist what you've written down here. You've written down. It's okay to learn something new. It's okay to do things that build your own confidence in yourself. It's okay to not know something and to fail. It's okay to take your time to learn something. Mm-hmm. And this this part about learning something or learning something new about yourself, you might think you're doing it for the first time and realize it comes so natural to you that it actually is who you are. Mm-hmm. So if, like you said, I'd like to learn to become a nice person, you might extend yourself in kindness or in gratitude and go, that was easy. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's me. Mm -hmm. And that learning something new about yourself is the way to discover, oh, then what he said is not true. That's right. That's why it's good to go try something that you've never done before, especially that you've never done in your whole life, where you go out and you take a class or you just do something like you said, just be giving to somebody and can understand they don't know this part of me. I know this part of me. I know parts of me they don't know. Therefore, they don't know everything. So you're starting to take back what you know about yourself instead of thinking, I have to go to them. They're going to know this for me. Good. We're going to end it there and we're going to come back tomorrow with more tools for enmeshment. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at Have a great day. Good morning and welcome to Sips of Sanity. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We are on day three of enmeshment. Mm-hmm. And like we said yesterday, we always recommend that you go back and listen to day one if you haven't and day two, because this shit's not going to make sense if you don't. Yes. Okay, so on day one, we talked about what it is. On day two, we discussed the addiction to approval and knowing that criticism cannot kill you. 
Isn't that wonderful to hear? Yes. And we gave resources to get to some books in that so that you have more help than the podcast show. Which leads us into today, we are talking about the need to fix. Mm-hmm. That is a huge part of enmeshment is identifying yourself as the fixer, mm-hmm. which means that whoever you're enmeshed with or whatever you're enmeshed with is the breaker. Yeah, and you have to have a belief somewhere within yourself that you are their personal fixer. Yeah, and like Tigger in the unhealthy way, I'm the only one. It's all on your shoulders or their whole world is going to fall apart. And we can really buy into that, particularly if we're enmeshed with a child. We can really believe it's our fault we're a bad parent if they're not okay. So we become controlling. And when we are a fixer, we are spun out on control. Okay, pause. There's also the fixer parent that's the bailer, Mm -hmm. where they bail them out. They Mm -hmm. fix by running to the rescue. And it's not necessarily about controlling their actions along the way, but fixing the mess that they make. Which is still control. Yes. But we point it out in slower ways so that you can really identify both aspects because if you are the person who just bails afterwards and you think no no I don't need control over what they do then you won't ever see yourself as a controlling person well done to you too (laughs) thank you I love how you did it Kelly because those are the hardest people to reach in a session I find the ones that do it after the fact are the ones that can't see it and really refuse to because they are so enmeshed in their own belief that other people's feelings matter more than their own. So it sparks them to constantly gauge the other person's emotional state. And if it isn't okay, that's what motivates them to get in it to fix after the fact. Mm -hmm. And they identify this this person that they're fixing as, oh, they're the ones that are struggling. They're having a really hard time. They just need a little bit of help. And they see themselves as calm, helpful, uh, a wonderful grandparent, kind, generous of spirit, generous of time, reliable, there for them. As opposed to part of the problem. Yeah. And sometimes grandparents are the worst ones to do this. Oh, yes. Because they think that as the grandparent, it's just their job to be there and quote unquote, love the grandkids. Yeah. And so what we're saying is these other aspects of the role enable the enmeshment relationship to continue. Yeah. And you could have a healthy parent trying to confront the grandparent to say, stop this. Stop it. It could be the parent that's healthy. Yeah, we're trying to teach consequences. We're trying to teach life skills. Well, I love what you just said about consequences because it is what a fixer is avoiding. Mm -hmm. They don't want the person they're enmeshed with to have to deal with any consequences for their actions or their thoughts, words, behaviors. As you said, they want to go and clean up the mess which often means, and I love this term, they triangle. There's a wonderful book from David Stoop called Forgiving Our Parents, Forgiving Ourselves that really does an amazing job of explaining the triangles that are created in enmeshment. And we just described one, the grandchild to the grandparent, where the parent is sitting there in the weakest position wanting to create boundaries and consequences, and the grandparent sabotages. Okay, so let's move into the next point of you are not alone. Okay. Because as a fixer, like we said, you end up believing that you're the only one. Oh yeah, my God, there's your martyr syndrome. Yes. You can get mad at your partner. You're never there for the kids. You don't do this. You disappear. I'm going to say you're the withholder and they attack them when in fact they could be the parent that's trying to stop the enmeshment. 
Yeah. And to set healthy boundaries. Yes. So when you can step out of the false belief that you are the only one, then a whole world of opportunity, a whole world of possibilities and choices open up. For you and for them. Yes. And that's the part that the person who enjoys the enmeshment won't like. Because if opportunities and choices open up for the other person as well, then I don't have a role anymore. Oh, Kelly, I love how you said they won't like it. Yeah, because where does my fixer ass go? <laughs> now we're, now who do I fix? Now what do I fix? I like how you called it my fixer ass. <laughs> I don't know. There's got to be some humor. We are very much about laughter. Yes, and I think it can be one of the healthiest tools in your toolkit to recognize with humor your own behavior, including when it's your own sorry ass mm-hmm. that's causing the problem. Because if you can now call a timeout, and that could be another tool, calling a timeout, when you recognize that you are the one that's doing this, you're creating the enmeshment. You're going to go up and ream out your spouse for not bailing out your kid. And you go, oh my God, I got to put myself in a timeout. I'm spinning. I'm not behaving. I have to go think. I got to go for a walk. I got to go sit on the toilet. I got to run a bath. Whatever it is that you need to do, I got to chop. I got to go do something. But you give yourself the time out and know what your time out looks like. So if we come back to the idea that you are not alone, then the question has to be, what part of the team am I? Mm -hmm. Or who is my team? Or what is the team trying to accomplish? Lovely. So if the team is trying to accomplish healthiness for that child and you're not a healthy person in the team, calling a timeout is awesome because if you remove yourself and you allow that child to find another person, a teacher, a family friend, another adult, a coach, somebody, maybe they're going to find some other choices and options here. It's not all on you to solve all those problems. You're going to see that in them reaching out to others that they actually have a sense of community, which means they're going to have more confidence, they're going to feel safe, and they can come back to the relationship with you in a better way. Yeah, and let's let's blend day two and day three together, because if we're looking for approval, which fixers still want, okay, and that was yesterday's show, then when you can actually become part of a bigger team... Those people, like you say, they still come back to you to say, thank you for being my team. Mm -hmm. Breakers don't walk up to a fixer and say, oh, thank you so much (laughs) and actually mean it. Mm -hmm. People who are part of a team recognize your contribution, recognize your worth and your value, which is the thing you and the breaker are both missing. Mm -hmm. The team gets things done together and recognizes each other for each of their roles. Mm hmm. This is one of the reasons, Kelly, why I really like the book by David Stoop, because it shows the unhealthy triangle and the thoughts that go with it, which is what you and I are trying to do right now in a crash course for people. And then it shows the unhealthy triangles so that you can understand who you are, because in those triangles, the three points in those relationships, you have to be able to see who you are because your hat can change. You might be the fixer all the time. But then in turn, are the victim or the martyr so that someone else has to come in and fix you. So you just change hats sometimes. It's important to know about the all the participation and the roles of all three people. And the dynamics between each pair in the triangle. So to end kind of on a positive note, mm-hmm. the thing that I do love about fixers is that They are action-oriented people, Mm -hmm. and they are the ones who see choices. They've just only been looking in one place. Or they think they're the only one responsible to come up with them. Yes. So if the innate ability already exists to Mm -hmm. be action-oriented and to brainstorm solutions, Mm -hmm. you've already got some of the best qualities that you need to embrace in better ways. So you're not actually starting from scratch. And I think another key thing here is that If you just slow yourself down and just live your life by a better example, other people can follow actually what you're doing. Yes. So if you, if you teach them by asking questions instead of fixing, 
then if you ask the right questions, you're going to give them the toolkit too. Yeah. And fixers, they we've talked about this before. They respond to other people's sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes they create it themselves. Right. They think there can't be a pause. There can't be a moment for heartache. There can't be a moment for discomfort. So I'll fix right now. Or someone else creates the sense of urgency and they just think as soon as the panic button is hit that all hell is going to break loose on planet Earth. Right. And that is not the truth. So again, if you can give yourself pause and allow yourself to have patience, you can actually come back and tap into some of your most innate abilities, which is problem solving and which is action. Mm -hmm. And you can be, like you said, that better example. I'm going to challenge people to sit and listen to this show with a pen and paper, go back, start it over and write down the tools they got. So did you hear things like patience? Did you hear things like time? Are you writing down time out? What it looks like, the triangles, taking your pauses, seeing choices, go through the whole show, maybe go back to the very first show with pen and paper and start writing. Good. You've got your homework for you then. Because we're coming back tomorrow with more tools. Good. So if you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at Otherwise, have a wonderful Wednesday. Good morning. This is Sips of Sanity and I'm Karen. Good morning. I'm Kelly. So we're talking about enmeshment and we're on day four. So if you didn't listen to one through three, we suggest that you go back to get a bit of a foundation and some tools that have already been presented in the first three shows. We're going to continue today, Kelly, talking about how people can break out of that. And just quickly, just to recap, enmeshment is when you are dependent on somebody else in a negative way. Somehow that it diminishes the relationship and that it diminishes who you are as an individual and it would diminish your partner and who they are too. So yesterday we actually left off talking about the fixer in terms of enmeshment and it's a great kind of segue into today's show because as a fixer you need to be in other people's realities you need to be anticipating what they are thinking feeling or are about to do next because if you're a fixer you're most likely with a breaker so today what we're wanting to talk about in terms of breaking out of enmeshment has to do with knowing your own thoughts knowing who you are what you think what you believe, what your preferences are. Kelly, that would be extremely hard for somebody to know if you go back to childhood and you have parents who are breakers and you are a child who has to step in and do the fixing. So if you have an alcoholic parent or a rageaholic or a parent who is not around, who's vacant, then you have to get in and fix things, or you have to be able to anticipate their moods and their highs and lows so that you can step in and anticipate what's going to happen and what you're going to have to do to clean up their messes. Yeah. And actually you're talking about part two already. So first part being knowing your own thoughts, but if you can't process that, if you can't walk yourself through those steps, whether it's making lists or doing brainstorming or journaling, then You do have to do a lot of work to go back and understand where enmeshment started, Mm -hmm. where your idea of being dependent on someone else or letting someone else rule your own thoughts stems from. Mm -hmm. And Karen, for listeners, it sounds like, I'll just reiterate this for people, it sounds like you're saying that if you're an adult in an enmeshed relationship, you most likely had something like this in childhood. You don't have a healthy childhood, a healthy teenage years or 20s, and go into a relationship and all of a sudden get enmeshed Mm -hmm. because those aren't your innate qualities. They aren't something that you are conditioned to understand how to function in that world. Mm -hmm. You're used to functioning independently. So this one would be foreign and very uncomfortable for you. Mm -hmm. So if you've been listening to shows one through three and a little bit of this one, and you have identified yourself as someone who is enmeshed, can you go back and reflect on some of the relationships from your earlier years and ask yourself, 
Is this where my pattern began? I would imagine it must be a tremendous struggle to know what you think, Kelly. As a little kid, when you've got all kinds of adults around you trying to form your thought patterns. And and you know what? Never mind all kinds. What about just one significant one? Mm, yeah. Yeah, like what a healthy relationship looks like. So if you have somebody then in a childhood who presents a healthy relationship to you, say your parents can't afford to give you that or don't know how to, but you have a teacher or a parent's friend or someone who does, then perhaps when you're reflecting back on your childhood, going back and remembering the healthy person, as opposed to always going back to those memories of your unhealthy family, might help you see your patterns more clearly. I think as adults, it's very difficult to find healthy patterns if you've never even seen them. If you don't have a job that gives you that, if you don't have a job that gives you that, or friends, like, or your partner or your own kids now, some people don't have them anywhere. And God only knows that TV and movies don't give that to you very often either. So you'd have to be very selective in trying to find the healthy examples so that you can see the unhealthiness that you've experienced if it's all that you know. I know that we push books quite a lot in our shows. We push authors because they create a visual for us. And when you are someone who is enmeshed, is verbally abused, cannot sort out your own thoughts and know your own reality, we can't, we often can't finish our own thoughts. We often can't find our way through a process of thinking. And books give us the visual so that we can slow down, reread, go back and try and process at our own pace. And I think they're great. And and, and it's kind of funny because we're doing an auditory sensory experience with these podcasts, but then we relate them back to visuals so that you can pace yourself in your own journey of acquiring your own tools. In sessions, some people are told by their spirit guides that they don't actually have an ADHD brain, but that they have a brain that's been traumatized by what occurred in their childhood. Some people think that they are maybe self-diagnosed or somebody's told them they have ADHD because they don't finish their own thoughts. They have high levels of anxiety. They can't finish tasks or assignments or whatever. But in fact, Kel, what they have is this brain that's been damaged since childhood where they are always focused on other people's stuff. So their empathy is high. They've got some other things that really developed, but their ability to go through process in thinking has been severely damaged because they're not allowed to finish a thought. It's a broken process because of the need, the hypersensitivity to, I have to be aware of everybody else's thoughts and needs. Well, and you're talking about going back to day two about judgment and criticism. Yes. Or everyone else's needs, episode three, the fixer. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that's great. This could be a wonderful aha moment for someone in their adult years with ADD or ADHD, like you said, who can go, oh, it's anxiety. Oh, it's trauma. Absolutely. And then we're not stuck to a diagnosis. We're not stuck to a story of this is just who we are. We can look at it and go, okay, it's a pattern. And I know genetically, at the very fundamental level of what we are as humans, you can break patterns and create new ones. Mm-hmm. And I've seen with some of those clients where they they learn that and they come back a year or two years later and say, I'm calmer. Um, my jo- I've got the jobs that I want now. I'm moving forward in life. I'm able to have better relationships. Turns out it's not ADHD. It's not that I needed medication. It had to do with the fact that I just needed to be able to give myself permission to slow down to think things through, to ask other questions, to see other choices. And that's what happens when we're enmeshed. We don't see choices anymore. We have to only anticipate how to fix for someone else. Or if we're the breaker, we just constantly break out of a sense of, I've got to create the drama. I've got to keep this person addicted to me. But it means that if I'm the breaker all the time, that I've got to create a sense within myself 
of urgency, anxiety, that something's always got to be wrong with me or with other people. But I always have to see negativity. Unless I'm around other people that don't know that about me. And I can swing and be a completely opposite person when I'm not at home with these people. That's cool. And then they can carry out a dual personality. So you can often see sometimes at someone's funeral where the family can't stand the person who's passed away, but everybody else thinks they're wonderful. So I think one of the steps that can be taken out of today's session, Kelly, is just to ask yourself now whether you think or not that you are enmeshed in a relationship. Maybe you can sit back and ask yourself if you finish your own thoughts, if somebody else tries to finish them for you, if you have a need, if you have a need to finish other people's thoughts and tell them what they think or what they should think. So you might be the person that says, well, you should have said this. You might always be telling your friends or your kids, you should have done it this way. That's enmeshment. You are stealing from somebody else their right to know how they would have dealt with something. And eventually you're stealing their identity. And that is simply to control them so they won't go anywhere because of your fear of abandonment, your fear of loneliness. And that's how you become enmeshed through those fears. And there's a wonderful way outside of all of that. Okay, so we will end it there and we will be back with day five of enmeshment. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at Otherwise, enjoy your Thursday. Good morning and welcome to Sips of Sanity. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We are on day five of enmeshment and today is the light happy show. The first four have been heavy, difficult, kind of the boot up your butt if you want to put it that way. And today we're talking about beginning to forgive yourself and actually dealing with the problem. It's that ever difficult, Kelly, because you're talking about perhaps an adult listening to that and saying or hearing in their head that they have to go back to when they were a child, perhaps, to recognize where this all began. So maybe the way parents treated you and their own problems. And what we're talking about here is we're not saying you have to forgive them in one fell swoop. We're saying that you have to be able to forgive yourself, that inner child that didn't know any better that wasn't given a better example. That's what we're talking about. Right. And this requires you to be able to look at facts without emotion to a certain degree, Mm -hmm. just to begin so that you can see, like you said, if we're going back to observe what happened just as an event without emotion, then we can understand how we involved ourselves in it when we didn't know any better, like you said. Yeah. And then if that's what we learned and processed on a subconscious level of, okay, then this is what I should do next time, it became a pattern that we didn't even know was forming. Yeah. And I've always loved Oprah's saying, when you know better, do better. Yeah, because it means it's now, it's in this moment that you understand something that you're allowed to say, I have a choice. I want more choices. Because as a child, that's what the parents or the people around you took away from you or the choices. choices. And because of that, you don't have a level of awareness and you're not able to follow a healthy maturation process. And now you're going to give it to yourself. This is your greatest gift you get to give yourself. Mm -hmm. And like we said, this is a process of just being able to observe and for sure there will be a process of grieving where you can feel whatever it is you feel based on the observations that you made. But that process of grieving and feeling can exist as a separate experience than the growth that you choose to do to go forward. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
And I like to separate them in my head to know that I have time to grieve and that it doesn't mean I'm going backwards in it, that I'm regressing in any way. It just means I'm processing an emotion so that when I need to get my head on straight and like you said, see my options now, I can do that on a factual basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with healthier choices, your emotions are going to be different. Yes. And then we can blend the experiences together going forward because we are mature enough to handle both scenarios. And I like the fact that we're talking about maturing here because when a person stays that way where they are enmeshed with others, there is a lack of being mature. And that's any party in the enmeshment, whether you're the fixer or the breaker, the parent or the child. We are speaking to people of all ages, by the way. This is not the 20-year-old. This could be the 50-year-old on his third marriage. This can be the 80-year-old on their second marriage. It doesn't matter. Oh, and it can be the 80-year-old that's still enmeshed with the dead father. Yes. This makes it quite difficult if you have parents who are older and are still enmeshed in all relationships and you're trying to go through your own individuation process. So... Please be aware that you could be the 50-year-old or the 60-year-old finally just beginning to individuate in your life. And that could explain to you why a future partner that you attract would be totally different than the partners that you've had in your past. It's often what people are looking for. You know, I left a marriage. I don't want to marry the same person over and over again, just in a different body. But they do. And they don't understand it. They think it's about the partners when it's actually about themselves. So what we're saying here today is there's a good reason. There are wonderful reasons why you do the work to come outside of being a person who gets enmeshed in relationships. Some people die in these relationships. They live their whole lives doing this. So when you do the work necessary, you can actually get back your own life. And I think it's really good, Kelly, for people to hear that this whole process of individuating, uh, no matter what age you choose to do it, is a starting over that's healthy. And with healthy tools can come healthy emotions, less stress, releasing of depression, releasing of anxiety, sleeplessness, sore stomachs, fibro and body pain. It also gives you your time back. You have more time in your day when you are not dealing with all the things you just talked about. Mm-hmm. And this is something else we've, we've kind of put on our notes here that you have to deal with your addictions. Mm-hmm. And that often people with addictions are the ones who are severely enmeshed in different relationships. And we turn to addictions outside of relationships to escape from it. Yeah. So you could have enmeshment issues and be an alcoholic on top of it, or a drug addict, or a workaholic. There's all kinds of ways people become enmeshed in more than one thing in their life. So if you are enmeshed in a relationship by being the fixer or the breaker, chances are you have multiple layers or multiple addictions. And uncovering one will help you snowball it into all of them. So what can apply healthily to the relationship addiction can also help you with your addiction to other things in life. So I think one of the best first steps that you can take today is to find out who your person is. Check in with a healthy person, and if they are not anyone that currently exists in your life, that's when you call a third-party therapist or counselor. Yeah, and make sure that they have the actual training to help you with this. When you make that phone call to set up that first appointment, ask those questions if they're qualified for that or if they have a specialty in it. And quite often, Kelly, those very therapists will also run group sessions to help people so that you can share your stories and be supported in your road to individuation. Wonderful. Thank you for the week. 
I know there were a lot of heavy educational points, Mm -hmm. but you've got a pause button, everyone. So if you do need to use it, rewind, play back, whatever you need, these are yours for free as long as you need to hear them. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most precious things we have is our ability to think. And as long as people hold that near and dear to them that they have a right to think, then they will get more choices, Cal. And as soon as they have their own choices and get some of that strength through this process, then their actual realities will become their own instead of living in someone else's. What an exciting thing to do for yourself in this life, to be yourself and to discover that. And to find out that you're loved for exactly who you are. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, if you have questions or comments about today's show or any of the shows this week, you can email us at info at Otherwise, we have a brand new coffee with the Sarlos out tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm.